It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Better back on your Wednesday Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Lamarise, it's Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. We're getting away from the NFL draft. We, we don't want to inundate you guys. We're going to be doing more. The Friday pod will be what happens in the first round for Ohio State on Thursday, the NFL draft with CJ Stroud and Paris Johnson and Jackson Smith and Jacob and everybody else. And then we'll do a pod. The plan is for the Monday pod to be wrapping up what happened on Friday and Saturday in the draft. But we know you guys care most about this team. So we're going to talk about the run game, the run game. What should it be? We have some historical stuff like what it's more philosophically. I'm not, we're not here to say, oh, I think Mayan Williams should have 176 carries and Trayvon Henderson should have 191. We're not doing that exactly. But like, and and by run game, I mean running back run game, because actually that's what we mean these days. So I went through and I grabbed all the running back run game back to 2016, what portion of the offense it's been, how successful it's been, yards per carry, it's 38% of the offense, what it's been, and then what it should be, what it should be in 2023. And we'll talk about, I, I really want to be run game philosophy, because we're going to have plenty of time. We did it in the spring. We're going to have plenty of time in August to dig in on dividing up carries between Trevion Henderson and Dallin Hayden and Mayan Williams and everybody else. But this is more like a Ryan Day, Brian Hartline question. Like, what should they be trying to do? But first, some transfer stuff. I'll start with this quickly, and I will direct people to the first episode of the College Football Survivor Show this week. Whenever it is up, it should be up by early Wednesday at the latest. Tyler Buckner. The, the quarterback who started against Ohio State last year and then got hurt and was in a competition with Sam Hartman at Notre Dame this spring. Sam Hartman, the Wake Forest transfer. Everybody knew Sam Hartman was coming in to start, but they did a little competition thing. Tyler Buckner lost. He's in the portal, and it sounds like he's going to Alabama, possibly. And we have a big Alabama college football survivor show podcast with Mike Rodak of AL.com. If you're an Ohio State fan who cares at all about Alabama, and if you care about context, I think you do. The Alabama quarterback competition, right, this spring, not great. I rewatched the Alabama spring game. There's some stuff there. There's not a lot. The idea that Tyler Buckner, as the, the Notre Dame like loser of this battle, might be dropped in as the new leader in the Alabama quarterback battle should make everybody feel pretty good about Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. That's all I'll say. Jalen Milrow at Alabama is fascinating. Nick Saban's worried about picks, so I don't know if he's ready to play him. Just keep that in mind. And by the way, what Mike talked about, there's a situation in Alabama where the portal is killing their depth. They are losing so many guys. And when they lose these guys, you can kind of be like, oh, well, they're nobodies. It's like, well, they're nobodies now. But the, the portal is wiping out their entire second tier and like the guys who might become starters when they're juniors, the guys who weren't ready to go as five stars right now. Meanwhile, this spring, it seems possible that three very familiar five-star recruits to Ohio State fans, Caden Proctor on the offensive line, who's from Iowa. Ohio State got in late on him, just kind of missed the boat. He was committed to Iowa. He's flipping. He flipped the Bama. He might start as a true freshman. I, I blame his offensive line. Justin Haynes, 
the running back that Ohio State was very interested in. He looked great this spring. He might start at Alabama. And Caleb Downs, people are saying, might be one of Alabama's best players on its defense this year as a true freshman starting safety. So you can listen to those three things and be like, oh my gosh, those are three guys that Ohio State would love to have. But also, the reason they're making such impact is because the portal is wiping out the middle class at Bama in a way that it's not happening at Ohio State. So we're not going to have a discussion about it. We can save this for later. I'm giving information. Go listen to the Alabama podcast on the College Football Survivor Show because I'll tell you guys what happened if you're not watching on video. Steven leaned in and Nathan cocked his head. And that means Steven Steven kind of agrees and wants to make a point. And Nathan's like, "Ah, I'm not so sure. And I can feel the 17-minute discussion coming on. And that's not what we're here to do. I promise you that's not what we're here to do. Keep it in mind. Keep it in mind. Transfer in, transfer out. How that affects freshmen, it's great to play five-star freshmen, but you don't want to have to play five-star freshmen. It's all a balance, and we have to keep that in mind with Ohio State. So that's one transfer thing. Another transfer thing, Nathan, is Caleb Burton, Ohio State receiver, is leaving, but also not a surprise, right, Nathan? No, of the second-year receivers, this is probably the one that we thought was maybe the most likely to move on. He didn't play any snaps last year as a true freshman. We didn't really see him getting a lot of traction this spring in that room, even with some guys that were missing. And, you know, you come out of the the, the spring with, uh, you know, someone like Carnell Tate making the move up to second string. Brandon Ennis isn't even here yet. There, there were some other guys who actually did play more as true freshmen last year. So it's just a it's just a numbers crunch in that room. We talked about it when we did the, uh, kind of our portal uh, episode here, and we knew they were going to lose somebody from that receiver room, and he's the one that decided to move on. A guy, again, a guy from Texas, maybe he'll have some opportunities closer to home to where he can go play. Maybe he could go play at Alabama because it sounds like they could use some guys. So uh, I think he was, what, number one, well, number 132 in, in his class. So, again, even just relative to some of the other guys that have come in in these last two years, not as highly ranked, not that that means everything, but just as 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 things were getting crunched there, you could already probably see that there were guys who were like, well, when, when would my opening come in this? Because it's going to be tight. So we've been talking about, Stephen, you've been talking about the second-year group of receivers for a while. I think people were prepped for this to happen. A, was not Caleb Burton a five-star when he originally committed to Ohio State? He was the number one receiver in the country when he committed to Ohio State. Did he get hurt in high school? Why did he yes. fall down the rankings? He got hurt his junior year of high school. It's always interesting when you rank these guys so high when they're sophomores and freshmen in high school, when some kids are still developing, and it's just it's hard. But he got hurt his junior year, missed his entire junior year, and then his senior year, he was still working his way back from that knee injury, and it kind of carried over when he first got here as an early enrollee. Plus, he's already kind of small. He's listed at six foot 165. Honestly, he might be closer to like 5'9", 155 pounds when he showed up here. So it just – that – that knee injury really set him back along with just a, a, a lot of other things. As Nathan mentioned, that room is not going to stop bringing in elite talent. So once you fall behind, it's kind of hard to catch back up. Uh, I don't know much else uh, as far as what the plans are for him to go, where he's going to go next, but I do know him and Quinn Ewers were like best friends in high school and they didn't live that far away from each other. And in oh. the name of, Oh, he's going to go to Texas. He's going to Texas. But oh, when yeah, yeah, yeah. when yeah, the Quinn you were still yes when the Quinn you were when um Sarkeesian got hired as Texas's coach I think that was right before Quinn the whole Quinn saga of the NIL stuff happened and people were wondering oh is Texas going to flip Quinn Ewers he was like part of it is Texas also going to flip his best friend Caleb Burton because so I just knowing what I knew back from high school I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up at, at, with the Longhorns as a kid oh. who grew who's from Austin Texas oh good for him oh that's good. Good for him. And Steven, wasn't he hurt here? He was. He was, He got hurt, I think, in bowl practice, I'm pretty sure, like right after he lost his black stripe. And then he's been out pretty much all spring over with the hurt people. So he did. It's, it's a, I mean, you're already behind. And then like the, the off season where you maybe have a chance to get some catch up, you're also not playing. Meanwhile, Carnell Tate, Noah Rogers, and Bryson Rogers and Kojo Antwi are making plays and, you know, yeah. turning some heads. Just never had no traction. No traction from like his peak as a Buckeye was when he committed as the number one receiver in the country yeah. as a five star. And then it's sort of been 
it's just we it's not weird. This is how this stuff happens. Injuries really factor in. Something like Jack Miller. That's kind of what Jack Miller's passing. Jack Miller, when he committed, is a huge deal. Then he gets hurt. He falls down the rankings. They add CJ Stroud. He gets here. He never gets any traction and he's gone. It doesn't mean these guys are bad players. This is a no traction guy. He basically went to Columbus High School for a year, just like Quinn Ewers did, and now maybe he can go back to Texas and play there. Good luck to Caleb Burton. I mean, there can't be any hard feelings from Ohio State fans about this. It just never got going. It's odd. It's amazing. I'll, I'll just say this very quickly. There was a guy from Texas who got hurt. There's two guys from Texas for Ohio State who got hurt in high school, and it easily, I think, could have gone this way for them in Columbus in alternate universes. And it's JT Barrett and JK Dobbins. And it yeah. didn't go that way that they had their Texas high school players with high school injuries. JK Dobbins got hurt on like the first play of his senior year. Mm-hmm. JT Barrett came in with an ACL tear to Ohio State. JT Barrett's redshirting at Ohio State, like, oh, my knee doesn't work. And then in year two, as a redshirt freshman, they're like, hey, could uh, you start? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. So it's amazing. Sometimes I think we have to keep in mind like the amazing stories of guys like J.K. Dobbins and J.T. Barrett when you don't get thrown off track, when you can see how easy it can be to be a big-time recruit, one thing happens, you get behind, probably because of injury, and all of a sudden everybody's passing you and it's not going to work out here. So good luck to Caleb Burton. Numbers, Nathan, we've talked about that. We don't have to cover it. They're still over on scholarship numbers, but there's got to be some out because now there might be an in at tackle, and we will call it the Baird threshold. Who is the tackle that is visiting Ohio State, and does he meet the Baird threshold of is it worth adding a guy like this to the mix at offensive tackle? Uh, so his name is Josh Simmons. This was first reported by 247 Sports' Bill Karelic, but I got a hold of Simmons and, and confirmed that he's coming to visit Ohio State on Friday. He was a redshirt freshman last year at San Diego State and started all 13 games for them. Uh, not a not a highly graded guy from the PFF standard, but also he was starting in year two. And uh, I think if you're going to add a player of this level, for whatever that means, he was a four-star guy, uh, number 342 in the 2021 class, uh, was offered by most of the Pac-12, Georgia, Michigan, Penn State, LSU, Texas, uh, not Ohio State, it didn't look like on this list, but um, a lot of major programs had, had offered him out of high school. And I think taking a guy like this with three years of upside, because this isn't necessarily just a one-year problem for Ohio State. It's not like they have five stars who are just waiting in the wings to be the starters next year. Uh, I think that makes some sense because I would rather take a guy like this who could grow into more um, and who's already got a, a very early year of experience under his belt than trying to grab somebody later in their career and hope you're catching sort of you know magic in a bottle or whatever. If a guy like this shows up, commits to Ohio State, comes to Ohio State, whether it's him or somebody with a similar profile. And part of the profile is he's played. San Diego State, that's like a solid, they, they made a bowl last year. They're in the Mountain West. They play real football. This is not, this was not a 1-11 team. This is a, a, a solid football team. Who's the, uh, who's the guy? Uh, oh, it's Brady Hoke. He was coached by Brady Hoke at San Diego State. So I'm just acting. It's like, hey, who's the guy? San Diego. Do you think he could be the starting right tackle? for Ohio State this fall, Nathan, a guy of this profile, considering what we saw in the spring. I I say this having not watched him play a down yet. I haven't gone back and watched any film yet because this all just happened before we were getting ready to go. But uh, he certainly would, based on that pedigree, seem like someone who could be in the mix to to, to compete to start. I don't see why not. Um, Again, as you point out, uh, nobody else that they're looking at right now at that position really has any experience at all. You know, Mahalski was a complete backup last year. Shabola wasn't even playing tackle last year. And I, so to get a guy that is maybe, you know, a year more advanced, um, has this kind of starting experience, I think if he were to come here, I think he absolutely would be in the mix and would push whoever, ended, if it wasn't him, it would push whoever ended up being the starter. Portal is closing this weekend. Is that correct? This coming so, weekend? I think that's right. So you have to be in the portal by the 30th. And I think this caused some confusion back during the winter. You don't have to pick where you're going by then. You simply have to be in the portal by the 30th. Uh, it was open on the 16th. It goes to the 30th. So you could go in on the 30th. And then I suppose 
make a decision in July. Like, I don't think there's really any, any end date as to when you would, you can free, commit to a program. So that's another thing for people to keep in mind. It's, it's Ohio State still needs some outgoing scholarships in order to make this work. As you said, with uh, Burton and Seibert, now that takes them down to 87. We're, I'm trying to get clarity on the situation with Avery Henry's scholarship. I don't think Ohio State knows exactly what it needs or wants to do with that, and it may not have to do anything depending on who else leaves. That would clean that up. But it, it needs to lose some scholarships. And then just because a guy has, uh, hasn't, hasn't committed somewhere by a certain date doesn't mean he still couldn't after the 30th. He just has to be in the portal by then. But what we'll know by this weekend is who Ohio State's options are. Because right. we'll know the tackles who are in. And it's like, okay, there's not going to be anybody else. So here's the smorgasbord. And there's a guy who started for a year at San Diego State, like as good as you're going to do. Are, is there some other guy? Is there a power five, three-year starter, Nathan, going in the portal? Yeah, and I just want to say, like, I'm I'm trying to get a hold of Simmons. He and I have, have um, tentative plans to talk as we're recording this. One of the offers he had coming out of high school, like I said, he was offered by pretty much a whole Pac-12. That included UCLA. That's where Justin Fry was the offensive line coach before he came to Ohio State. So I believe there is probably a a previous relationship here that has already started and has been able to kind of get rekindled through the, the portal process. Okay. Transfer update. You know, we're going to be at the point where we're not going to have to be given these because we're going to have an idea of what's happening. Even if all the moves aren't made, we're going to know what moves are possible. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, run game stuff next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Doug Nathan Stephen. We like it when the texters help us come up with stuff. And if you want to be a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. It's a two-week free trial. It's four bucks a month after that. We have two run game questions that spurred this pod. And sometimes I say, hey, send in stuff for a rapid fire. And then I say, hey, these questions are too good. This isn't a rapid fire. This is a whole pod. From the 954, due to the weaknesses and strengths of this offensive line, do you think that the 2023 Buckeyes will have more rushing attempts and yards than last year? Do you think they will have less passing attempts in 2022? So that was one. And then here's another one from 914. This actually came in as a rant, and I saved it. My rant is pretty short, but I feel like there isn't a lot of discussion about the run game needing to wake up in a big way. I am concerned that once again, Ryan Day will fall in love with the pass when we have seen time and time again that a run game that is a threat and not just a complimentary piece to the offense will lead to victories. The best Ohio State teams have been balanced or even tilted towards the run. I'm not yet sure that Ryan Day realizes that listening from New York City. So thank you for those two texters for sending that stuff in. So let's start with the baseline big picture philosophy. Nathan, how would you describe what you think the, and we're talking running back run game, running back run game, because I think that's what people mean. How should that be part of the offense this year in context of last year, in context of the Ryan Day era? We'll talk theoretically, philosophically before we talk statistically. What's your vibe, Nathan? I think it has to be a healthy portion of the offense. I know that there are people on this podcast who have previously advocated for basically being uh, arena league. Uh, I don't know how well that would really truly work wow. in, in the, that, in the we're starting game. There? We're starting we're su- there. We're subtweeting already. <laughs> wow. Right there. 
The uh, entire running back room was on crutches last year, and I was like, Steven and I were like, I don't know, throw it to Marvin, and Nathan <laughs> comes out with Arena League. Okay, uh, we see how it's going to be. I like they, they ran the they ran the ball okay with the other guys who came in after those guys too. I mean, as as we talked to the point where we were like, why aren't they playing the guy who is in there running the ball well while they were out? I, I think it what I think will determine it more this season though. Uh, the, the offensive line is still just a big TBD on what it's going to mean for this entire offense. And I was looking back at some numbers, you know, kind of correlating the best running teams in the country against the the best PFF grades. And there's a pretty strong correlation, as you might expect, between the best PFF run blocking grades for a team and where they the teams that rank at the top of the country in, in yards per carry. And that includes Ohio State, by the way. Ohio State has been one of the best run block grade teams in the country the last few years and has been one of the best yards per carry teams in the country the last few years. I mean, last year they plummeted all the way down to 11th. They were still averaging 5.378 yards per game. So I, I think it has to be a healthy part of this offense because it is it, 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 it works in concert. You're able to be even more lethal with the passing game when people respect the run and vice versa. I, I agree with parts of it. Um, I'm backing off the chuck it around just a little bit, but I still think in games that matter most, just throw that bad boy around the yard. I think it has to, I don't, it needs to be complimentary. It can't hinder what you want to do out there in the pass game because Ryan Day loves second and second at the 45 yard line play action pass. That is bread and butter Ryan Day football passing, passing attack. It has to be able to do that. I, from an offensive line perspective, I don't think the offensive line has been bad in the run blocking when we've seen them in practice. The pass blocking, that's a whole other conversation. But I think the run blocking has been at least decent, which is, is is a positive sign. But I think with the the – I'm glad you made it about the running backs and not necessarily about scheme and all that stuff. Hit, Travion and Mayan and Dallin and Chip and Evan maybe and – Whoever else they find the, who is playing a different position and might be playing running back at the end of the season, they just have to be able to complement whatever they're doing in the passing game. And when they need to run it, they have to be able to do it, even if it's not the overall strength of what the offense is, which is, I would say that any year going forward, as long as Ryan Day and Brian Hartline are at Ohio State together. So one of the things we have to keep in mind in the overall context of how an offense works. And Ryan Day brought this up when he was on Buckeye Talk a couple of weeks ago and talking about the 2018 season with Dwayne Haskins. And I was saying like, hey, the numbers Dwayne put up that year, you know, they may never be broken. And he said, you know, well, there was a portion of that pass game that was really the run game. And whether it's jet sweeps, mm-hmm. whether it's bubble screens, those things, when Ryan Day thinks about balance, those things go in the stats as passes. He thinks of them as runs. He thinks of that as an extension of the run game. So when we're getting when we're getting statistical with run versus pass, theoretically like that, we have to remember that like and and this is the thing I said like we're going to do last year and I never let's count real runs like a, an RPO read where the the offensive line is run blocking, but then the quarterback might throw it. That's the run. In Ryan Day's mind, we're going to attack you like it's the run. But by the way, hey, your linebacker bit down. There's the slants open. We're going to throw that. It goes. It's an eight yard pass, but they think of it as a run. And then the bubbles, right? The wide passes at the line of scrimmage, they're an extension of the run game. So we have to keep that in mind, which is why, again, I said this is running back run game. Because I think for us, for our listeners, for the fans, that's what you think about. You're thinking about handing the ball to Archie Griffin. You're thinking about handing the ball to Eddie George and Beanie Wells and Keith Byers and Ezekiel Elliott and guys like that. That's what people want to see. And they want to see guys maul people. And Stephen, I think the point you made, that's what the texts are saying. Hey, we're not sure about the pass blocking, especially from these tackles maybe, but offensive linemen love to maul people. So mm-hmm. if you're just going to get up there and lean on people, should you do it even more? And now I'm going to give you a stat. Arena ball. Take your arena ball. You know where you can cram your arena ball. Running back run game. Running back carries as a percentage of the offense. Last year, they were 46% of the offensive plays that Ohio State ran. ran. Were handoffs to running backs. 46%. For people who think... They got away from the run last year. In 2021, 
Running back carries were 40% of the offense. Here's the difference. In 2021, the running back carries averaged 6.4 yards per carry. Last year, they averaged 5.8 yards per carry. Now, 5.8 is still pretty good, but it's a big drop from the year before. Also, it's not as many yards as you get throwing the ball to Marvin Harrison. So, arena ball. My issue last year wasn't that they weren't running it. My issue was that they weren't running it well. And once they established that they weren't running it well, I said, stop running it. You can't do it. They did not run it well last year. I went back to 2016. So that's the last year before Ryan Day's here. Here's the running back yards per carry. Running back yards per carry. 2016, 6.4. 2017, the first year of Ryan Day, last year of JT Barrett, 6.6. 2018, and this is, by the way, why they chucked it all over the place. This is, you can do a chicken or an egg thing here in 2018. They averaged 5.0 yards per carry with the running backs. Is that because they threw it too much and they were sort of instituting this RPO stuff with the offensive line? It was driving him crazy. And, and you know, J.K. Dobbins was in his own head and Mike Weber's good but not great. And all of a sudden, like, they threw it in a way that broke every record in the book. They ran it with the running backs as poorly as they've ever run it at Ohio State in 2018. So I think when you think about a portion of that, if you think that the 2018 offense is what Ryan Day wants to do, that's not true. That's what they did. It's not what he wants to do. I guarantee you he wants more balance than that and more effective balance. Anyway, 2016, 6.4, 2017, 6.6, 2018, 5.0. 2019, J.K. Dobbins, 2,000-yard 2000 season, 6.6. 2020, kind of like a Trey Sermon, Master Teague, we don't know who the running back is, 6.3. Still pretty good. 2021, here comes Trayvon Henderson, 6.4. Last year, 5.8. So in the Ryan Day era, last year was the second worst yards per carry for running backs behind 2018, which was a mess running the ball, right? So in that context, I said, stop. Steven said, stop. Who are you fooling? 46%, Nathan, 46% of their plays last year were handoffs to running backs when the whole room was hurt and they were the worst rushing the ball with the running back team that Ryan Day has seen outside of a really kind of weird year. Percentages, running back handoffs for this offense, 2022, 46%. 2021, 40%. 2020, 44%. 2019, 47%. When J.K. Dobbins had 2,000 yards and was really hard to stop. Leaned in. 2018, 39%. So from 18 to 19, the the running back carries jump 8% in the offense because they get much better at it. It's not that Justin Fields can't throw. It's not that Justin Fields can't run the offense that Dwayne ran. And this is, they're giving the ball 47% of their offense in 2019 as handoffs to running backs in a world where Justin Fields is a dangerous runner, where he's a portion of the run game too. So then you go back and now we get back into a world where the quarterback, 39% is with Dwayne as zero part of the run game. 2017, 36% was running back handoffs. 2016 was 35% running back handoffs, but that's because JT Barrett is like leading them in rushing. So the quarterback run game is such part of it. So I dropped a bunch of numbers on your heads, okay? But Nathan, that idea that last year, they handed the ball to the running backs 6% more than they did the year before, but they averaged 0.6 yards per carry less than the year before. What can we learn for 2023 from the recent history? I think 21 and 22 are good encapsulations of this, right? Because I I do think Kyle McCord and Devin Brown should play in a similar way to CJ Stroud. Maybe they'll would both run it a little bit more than CJ. They're not going to be the kind of run threat that Justin was, and we're not going to get back to 2018. So so what should that what should that tell us? 40%, 46%, how, what should the percent be in 2023? I would expect it to be about what it was last year. 
I would imagine, uh, because I think you're they're they're assuming right now that both those backs are going to be healthy as well as the other three backs that are behind him. And the other thing that you have to remember in the 2022 context, and you've done good reporting on this, is the whole situation with Trevor Henderson was upside down, like most of that season. And I think that the disconnect that was existing between him and the coaching staff played into why they kept with the running game the way they did, even when it wasn't effective enough. I think they thought something wasn't something was off there. Um, and I think that if you get those, everybody back on the same page, which it seemed to be right now, I think it gives this running game a better chance to operate is, as you're saying, in the, in the, in the way that Ryan day uh, would prefer that they run and which demonstrably they're kind of in that, that similar window, right? Year after year of where he wants this offense to be. So the thing here is 2019 is so interesting because you have an NFL quarterback and you do have a good receiving core, but you also have an NFL running back. And Ryan Day is practically 50-50. 2019, they are 47%. They are handing the ball to running backs 36 times per game in 2019. And they are averaging 6.6 yards per carry. If you said to Ryan Day, what is your ideal offense? I think. It's some version of what they did in 2019, Stephen. So that's a 2,000-yard season, 300-yard carry season from a workhorse-dominant running back. I don't think that's what any of us expect for 2023. But can they get to a point where Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams combined with a little bit of Dallin Hayden and a little bit of Chip Trainum replicate J.K. Dobbins' workload, stats, and success. That if last year was 46% of the offense at 5.8 yards per carry, can 2023 be 46 or 47% of the offense at 6.5 or 6.6 yards per carry from the running back, Stephen? Do you think that's possible? Yeah, I think 300 might be a benchmark. Sometimes it's going to be J.K. Dobbins gets it 300 times because he's J.K. Dobbins. Other times it's going to be you know, Bob and Mike get it 150 and 150. Some years it might be 180 and 120 or something like that. I don't, I'm not good at math. But I think Mayan missed some games in 21 because he was dealing with some injuries, so he only played in 10 games that year. So what if he doesn't miss those games? And so that year, Travion got it 183 th- times. If you combine Mayan and Master Teague's carries, it's 138 times. I think that's a good balance for what that running back room is right now with those top two guys, that's their split. And then maybe you sprinkle in some Dallin Hayden and some chip train them in there along the way. But yeah, I think 300 for whatever your top guy is, whether it's one guy or two guys, it's a good way to gauge how they go about using the running backs in the run game. And maybe that number even goes up a little bit higher when you're, when your quarterback isn't Justin Fields and your third down play sometimes isn't just read option. And sometimes Justin keeps it. So they, they, it's weird. They ran so many fewer plays last year. They ran 200 yeah. fewer plays in 2022 than they did in 2019. 2019, they ran 1,069 plays. Last year, they ran 876. It's kind of remarkable. But I think it's like they were eating up clock with the run game. They weren't. I, I still think in the end, I'll go to my grave, at least five years maybe, thinking they didn't throw it enough last year. That in the end, once you had Marv, I think you underutilized Marv. I think that's still true. Because I don't think, as we continue to to combat the arena ball allegations that have been thrown at us, for me, as much as it was about, yes, throw it 65 times, jokingly, a lot of this comes down to, you know, situational and moments where you said it was what? Four, you said it was 46% last season that they, they ran 46% it with the running, running back handoffs. Yep. I would say 4% of that was moments where it felt like they were just running up against a wall where it was insanity is the definition of trying something again and again, expecting a different result. So if you take that 4% out and you just drop it to 42%, because instead of like every third and two, Ryan Day was so hell-bent on proving they were tough and that we can get these yards, i.e. Notre Dame game, i.e. sometimes in the Penn State game, and just said, you know what? Slant to Marv. Play action pass to Marv. Um, Jet sweep to to Emeka Ibuka. Something else to Marv. Just to Marv, to Marv, and Mecca all day long. Then 
maybe the numbers look a little bit different and maybe we aren't screaming as much, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. So it's not about the, like if it's, you're on 75 plays in a game, 60 of them, you've got 30 of them passed, 30 of them run ideally, or maybe it's 50, it's 50. So you go 25 pass, 25 run. And then the other 25 plays can be a mixture of RPO stuff, just different type of stuff you might have in the offense that week. But it felt like a lot of the time that extra 25 leaned so run heavy because Ryan Day was trying to prove a point that by week six, we were all like, dude, we don't care. Just throw the ball. You've got awesome receivers and an awesome quarterback. So I do think in the end, I, I do think they're when the when the run game is healthy and effective, Ryan Day wants to run it. I think we have proof of that. I think they hit a worst case scenario tsunami last year mm-hmm. of a wanting to prove something after the Michigan loss and wanting to prove something to Michigan and the way that Michigan plays and leaning too hard into the run game in a moment where the run game got hurt. They had some really rough injury luck last year. They lose Evan Pryor before the season starts. He's their number three back. He's gone before it starts. And then numbers one and two both get hurt in a way that lingers, that bothers them when they do play, that makes them less effective when they're on the field, keeps them off the field sometimes. And then by Maryland and Michigan, they're on they're on options four and five. But they kept doing it. So I think that is a worst case scenario. I don't think, Nathan, last year is reflective of what the Ohio State run game wants to be or should be. I think they tried too hard, and I think they were too hurt to do it well. But I think in the normal flow of offense, they can they can have running back carries be 44, 45% of the offense and be above 6.2, 6.3 yards per carry and be really good. I think they can get back to that. And the next question I want to ask here is the faith. The faith that the three of us would have on a scale of of one to ten. One is, oh my God, no, no faith at all. I think the run game is going to be a disaster. Ten is dominant run game. I think twenty twenty three is a dominant run game. Nathan, where would you be on that scale as you sit right now with your expectations? I think like a six. I just there's reason to have concerns about the durability and health of those guys, even though. I know last year some of it was um, was limited to that season, but these are guys who have been banged up before, both Henderson and Williams at times. Um, and uh, as I already stated before, we still just don't know exactly what we're going to get out of this offensive line. So I think six is a, a pretty good place to be relative. When you consider both those things, come out of the spring at a six, and then maybe they prove themselves better than that in preseason, that seems reasonable. Steven, what's your faith level in the run game? Yeah, I'm in the same range. I'd go seven just based off what they're capable of doing as as talent is a seven. And three. the minus three is basically all whether they're going to be able to do it or not because of a combination of their own durability issues that they've had issues with basically since they got here. And then, I mean, your running back's only as good as guys who are blocking for them. So. I think I'd go seven and a half maybe because we have recent – to, when Ohio State really runs the ball, it's a 10. Like Ezekiel yeah. Elliott in the playoff in 2014 is like a 14 out of 10. J.K. Dobbins in 2019, that run game, 47% of the offense, 6.6 yards per carry, that's a 10. Now, so so I don't I'm not expecting that. But I, I like I think you can creep toward that. So I might be a seven and a half or an eight, because again, to me. It's the offensive line. Can you keep the quarterback clean? Can you allow Marvin and Mecca to be at their best because you give the quarterback enough time to make those reads, allow him to, you know, run double moves sometimes. The quarterback's not running for his life all day. Yeah, it, you also have to be good at the run game, but I just think, you know, Ohio State gets big physical guys, Nathan, right? So like that's, I don't want to take the run game for granted because it's not taken for granted, you can be a lousy run blocker. And we just don't know about this offensive line right now. But especially, you know, run some stuff up the middle. We talked about the Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis superhighway a couple years ago. If you think Donovan Jackson and Carson Hinsman are going to do their thing inside, let's, you know, you hit some stuff inside and try to pop stuff. And I, I, I think it can work. And I do think in a world where maybe you're easing the quarterback in a little bit, I think it, A, they need to be better at it because you don't have C.J. Stroud. 
And B, they should be better at it because last year was a cluster. Yeah, I, and I'm completely open to it ended up ending up at that like seven and a half, eight range. Uh, I'm just saying that right now, as of today, that's where my confidence level is. I mean, we didn't see Trevin Henderson play this spring. I know he said and did a lot of the right things. We, we There's certainly reason to have enthusiasm for that, but hasn't been back on the field yet. Mayan Williams was certainly limited this spring. Still haven't seen Evan Pryor anywhere back that close to field. He was he was doing warm-up stuff before the spring game, but not certainly in, in a full uh, participation kind of way. So, you know, we're we're still waiting to see that the health will be there for all those guys, that the effectiveness will be there for all those guys. And I mean, what did we start off the, the, when we start off this pod talking about it's, is somebody else going to have to come in and help fix this offensive line? I guess given what they have, they might have the two best rece- returning receivers in college football and Julian Fleming might be top 15. Uh, and David Johnson's the greatest Buckeye of all time. But if, if the quarterback situation is fine and it uh, figures itself out, and they do somehow get this offensive line right, whether it's transfer portal or guys just like take huge steps between now and when we get to fall camp. Do the running backs need to be – we know we've seen 10s, but with what else is on this team, does it need to be a 10? I think an 8 is good enough to complement what the passing game can be if those other things happen. Well, the quarterback was right last year, and the offensive line was right last year, and the running backs weren't. So right, but they weren't eight. We're talking about. I don't. I'm saying. I'm not. I'm saying if they can get to an eight last year, the running backs because of health were like a three, maybe because we didn't even know who we didn't even we didn't even know who that three would be on a given week. If they can be a eight or even a seven and a half healthy, mixed with what the passing game already was, that's when I think you have something clicking here. Because the better the pass game is, I feel like the further away you can be from that. 10 as long as you're still higher than like six and a half Mayan Williams and Trevor Henderson both had 100 yards against Wisconsin and it was like okay yeah. and then neither they weren't healthy together the rest of the year so we saw a version of what it looked like and again I think I have backed off Trey a little bit I would have thought coming in and maybe based on what he did as a freshman that they could be a 10 run game that they could be a J.K. Dobbins in year three run game or an Ezekiel Elliott run game or a Beanie Wells run game, right? That they could get to that. So to me, the idea that, hey, we're talking about sixes and sevens, could they get to an eight? We're already backed off. We are. But that they don't, to the point, they don't need to be a 10 because they're a 10 passing it. They should be a 10 passing it. Like they're a 10, they're above a 10, right? I mean, when you, in 2021, mm-hmm. right? Well, with 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 you know those receivers and that quarterback and it, it, what when Mars doing anything against Penn State it's like what's that passing game right now it's like I don't know what's the scale I mean like it's unstoppable Joey Porter Jr. is going to be like the 14th pick in the draft and he had no hope of covering Marvin Marvin Harrison Jr. they couldn't stop him in a must win game on the road That's it's like oh okay corner. who's out there oh it's first round corner what's happening he's getting roasted he's getting roasted yeah. so like. And here's the thing. It's like the context, right, Nathan? We're constantly, it's the context of yourself. It's not, and this is the hard thing. It's not that the Ohio State run game is bad. Even last year, it wasn't bad. They ranked 11th in the nation in yards per carry. 11th in the nation. 5.37 yards per carry. 11th in the nation. This is not bad, but. They were third of the nation in passing in yards per attempt in the pass game, 9.5. And above them are Air Force, which throws it one time a game, and Tennessee, which is just four verts. Everybody run down the field. We'll chuck it up and see what happens. So in terms of like, nor, not, no discredit to Tennessee. They oh, had some no. great receivers and a great quarterback. No discredit. But but they're, they're more air raid stuff with Josh Heupel, an air raid version. They're attacking it a different way. That's not what Ryan Day is trying to do. So, Nathan, like within the structure, that's again back around to the idea of the, the run game wasn't terrible last year, but it just wasn't as good as the pass game. And note, your yards per carry is never as much as your yards per attempt, of course. But one is third, and it's really kind of first, and one is 13th. So, hey, you're a top 21, top 20 run game. Congratulations. You're a number one pass game. Throw it. This year, I don't know, even with Marv, I don't know that I'm expecting, Nathan, for them to be 
the okay. number one pass game in the country. But I still think they'll be top 15, probably top 10. But are you going to say, well, maybe the run game should be that too? Last year, they were 13th in yards per carry when it wasn't very good. So maybe this year, they're going to be fifth in the nation in yards per carry, and they're going to be fifth in the nation in yards per attempt. And what does that mean? Okay, let's balance it out. Let's get to 46 or 47%, but do it effectively. Because the pass game maybe won't be as good, at least early, because you're working in a young quarterback versus CJ as a veteran. And... The running backs are healthy, so let's do this thing. So that's the thing that, that frustrated me, Nathan, by the end of like, man, when they throw it right, they are almost impossible to stop. And it's even if the run game's average, every time you're handing it off, it's one more time you're not throwing it to Marv or Mecca or Julian Fleming or Cade Stover or somebody who can be super, super dangerous. But I think more balance this year makes sense. Yeah, and I – again – those things, those things balance off. They're, they're relative to each other. So I think it is, regardless of how much we think they should run it now, kind of in a vacuum, before we see what this product really looks like this preseason, I think we can extrapolate that because this situation at quarterback, we can assume is not late season C.J. Stroud, at least to start with, or late late career Justin Fields, at least to start with, that it's going to be a, a some growing that goes on there, that I think it's more imperative that they figure out between now and September 2nd a way to make this running game more potent and I I do think that again as we said just by Trevian Henderson being now that now that the foot is surgically repaired if he can be healthy through a full season that alone I think kicks up this running game because we really haven't seen that I mean he had some bumps and bruises people remember is his his freshman season too and then last year it was just the traction was never there and I think just him alone being healthy, being able to get through, sustain health through a season, elevates this run game. Okay. There's a name I want to throw in here as we talk about the future of the Ohio State run game and what people should expect. And we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right. Bijan Robinson. If he was here things would have been different. And you also lean toward your talent. And I was going back and reading some old B. John Robinson stories. He's going to be a first round pick in the NFL draft on Thursday. Our Tim Bielek took him at 10th overall. He is this Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, like rare kind of college guy that sort of bucks the trend. And he was silently committed to Ohio State in the recruiting process. Same high school as Lathan Ransom. Going back and reading these stories, Stephen, I know you were covering this as it happened. This is a quote from Robinson from a 247 uh, piece on the Texas site for 247 Sports. I knew Texas was the perfect place for me, but there were a lot of people in my ear about Ohio State. And it was so tempting to try and go there. And all the recruiting was toward Ohio State. Other stories, he's saying... He really developed a good relationship with Tony Alford. And then ironically, or coincidentally, I guess, isn't it? Stan Drayton, who was Ezekiel Elliott's coach at Ohio State. Bijan Robinson is telling stories that is Ohio State saying like, hey, you can come here and be Ezekiel Elliott. And then Bijan Robinson saying like, well, yeah, but Stan Drayton, who's at Texas and is recruiting me for Texas, actually coached Ezekiel Elliott. So who gets like the Ezekiel Elliott edge there? So in the end, it is a missed opportunity for Ohio State. And then Tony Alford rebounds with Trevion Henderson and Evan Pryor in future classes. But Bijan is a different kind of dude, Stephen. And I want to ask about the future 
of Ohio State with the run game because when I'm talking about Ezekiel Elliott and Beanie Wells and these like rare kind of guys, I think J.K. Dobbins is pretty close to that. You know, I wouldn't put J.K. Dobbins on the same level as Ezekiel Elliott as a college running back, but I think he's pretty close. 2,000 yards is 2,000 yards. You lean into the talent, and if you've got a dude, you let him be a dude. And I think Ryan Day and Brian Hartline would operate that way. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Justice Haynes, who Ohio State really liked, is at Alabama looking like he might take the starting running back job at Alabama. He had three touchdowns in their spring game. If Justice Haynes was here right now, that room would be even more crowded. But man, oh man, oh man. Do you think, Stephen, Ohio State will, will be able to recruit Big-time workhorse, number one, first-round talent running backs. And then if they get them, will they give them the ball? Or are we headed toward more of the Georgia model, where Georgia has good running backs, they have multiple guys, but nobody's taking Kenny McIntosh in the first round. Zamir White went in the fourth round. James Cook went in the second round. Good running backs, but not Bijan, not Zeke. What's the future of the running back position in this run game under Ryan Day and Brian Hartline? I think it depends on whether or not your running back is the best player on the team. Because in all those situations you name, Ezekiel Elliott was the best player on the offense, potentially on the team, when they started giving him the ball, especially late in that so season. So I'm going to stop you there. Point agreed. Can they get them, though? Like, is James Peoples going to be that? That's the question, uh, right? Can yeah. they get the next Zeke? Because we don't think the receiver – room is going to drop off. They're going to keep having great receivers. By the way, they had Michael Thomas on the Zeke team and they handed the ball to Zeke a lot, didn't throw it to Michael Thomas much. Right. But can they get a Zeke? Like, is Ohio State enticing to the next Zeke? Or is it going to be difficult to recruit a running back like that in a world where you're known for your passing game? Because when Zeke came here, they were a running team. They were a quarterback run, running back run team. And now that's changed. I don't think so. No, um, Travion is an, in, in, he was a number one running back in his recruiting class. And I understand yes. we're talking about Justice Haynes might, might take the job as a true freshman. And Texas was kind of late giving it to Bijan there because it was COVID and stuff. But once he took over as a freshman, wow, he ever 8.2 yards per carry. Travion, it took him three care, three touches for everybody to go. Yep. That guy needs to be starting, even though we spent the entire offseason going, listen, he's going to show us very quickly that he needs to be their starting running back. And he was good. He just hasn't been healthy since then. So I do think some of this is maybe he's not three and done because he also is a running back where unless you're B. John Robinson, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, once in a generation, maybe your top 10 pick, even though that's terrible value for that position, you're probably better off coming back for another year, like uh, Najee Harris did, who was also a number one running back in his class and a first-round draft pick in four years. 2024, if if Travion does not go pro after this next season and decides to come back for a fourth year, we're dealing with a situation where, depending on what Kyle McCord does this year, maybe he's a one-and-done. Marvin Harrison and Emeka Ibuka are definitely entering their last year as Buckeyes, and maybe Julian Fleming goes as well, even though he's got a fifth option. You're now dealing with a situation where you could be starting a first-time starting quarterback, a brand-new wide receiving core, and the only and a lot of new guys on the offensive line, depending on what Donovan Jackson wants to do. Travion Henderson might be one of the three proven commodities on this offense, and that looks like a situation where you go, here, here's the ball 300 times, go be a workhorse. Very, very similar to 2019. Justin Fields, all the hype was what it was, but – Given what the scenario of what that season was, hey, JK, we asked him that question in the spring. Ryan Day made that very known in the spring going into 2019 that they were going to ride through J.K. Dobbins that year. And we asked J.K., if they give you the ball 300 times, can you handle it? And he said yes. And then he went out and handled it. So I think if Trey doesn't go pro, he is going to be the perfect proof in the pudding of whether or not a top-tier, five-star, number-one running back in the country can still come here and be the focal point of an offense in a year where he's clearly the best player on it. What do you think, Nathan? Do you, do, do you think this can still be a place where great running backs come to thrive? Or do you think that maybe – so 300 but, carry seasons, Ohio State history, 
Keith Byers, Eddie George, J.K. Dobbins. So I'm not in 2,000 yards. That's the most anybody's ever run for. So I'm not I'm not asking necessarily, are we going to have another 300 carry 2,000 yard season? Because like that's even at a place that's known for running the ball. That was rare from J.K. I'm just trying to figure out like how rare, Nathan, like is that really the last stand where you had one dude to that degree and we're just entering a world where not that the the workhorse superstar back is is gone forever at Ohio State where but maybe it's just less likely than it's been when in the previous five decades you probably had two or three guys like that every decade yeah but I mean throughout college football as you've just pointed out I mean those those sort of unicorns are becoming more and more rare like the 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 B. John Robinsons, the Saquon Barkleys, like you go several years a lot of times between those guys. And even if you bump it down to the, the Dobbins notch, uh, I, I still think that because you said an interesting thing, which is, can this, is this a place where a running back can still come and thrive? And I don't want to get into a coach speak situation here, but I think the Georgia guys who won back-to-back national championships the last two years would say they thrived. They didn't get the yardage that J.K. Dobbins did in 2019, but they've got those two rings. So I think that it makes a lot of sense. The Georgia model, to me, makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially if you have the resources that Ohio State has and you don't have to overemphasize one guy. Now, <laughs> now the difference is, in 2019, there were some very specific things with J.K. Dobbins. And I know that you wanted to – I don't know if you want me to go into that, but, I mean, it's, it's – No, go ahead. Was, like, was, I'm curious about like why why was 2019 so spectacular for an Ohio State running back? So number one, he was super durable. Like he never mm-hmm. missed time. He he finally got a little bit gimpy in the Fiesta Bowl against Clemson, but that was while he was going like all out. Just one of those you get banged up a little bit sometimes in football. That's that's what it is. Number two, he had clearly separated himself. There were there was a tier there, right? This wasn't a situation even like with Mike Weber where it was like kind of close. Like Master Teague was definitely the next tier down. So it made sense, again, to focus on him in a way that I don't think it's going to make sense necessarily to focus on Trevor Henderson in 2023, for example, or Mayan Williams or whoever. I think they've got a pretty loaded amount group of guys there in the backfield. And then also uh, because of those two things, he got the ball a lot in blowouts in 2019. I was looking back. He had like 21 carries against Florida Atlantic, 22 carries against Indiana, 24 carries against Nebraska. Like he was getting the ball a lot in games that he, and and a lot of times he was out of the game by, you know, sometime in the third quarter, but it just sort of reemphasized how by, by separating yourself in that room and being so uber durable that you could just pile up those carries and get out of even blowouts. And I don't know that, that dynamic too has not has eluded them since then so and and i guess maybe the final thing was and it kind of gets to what steven was saying in 2019 like the the way that we're talking about this right now where it's like well how much do you want to give the ball to trevin henderson and mayan williams because every time you do it means you're not throwing to marvin harrison and emeka buka that disparity was not as significant in 2019 jk dobbins was the best player on this offense other than Justin Fields in 2019. He just was. So it made sense. You're like, oh, well, are we going to throw a potential pass to Ben Victor or Austin Mack or someone like that? Mm-hmm. Or Garrett Wilson, who had a good freshman year. Or can we get seven? should we get seven yards with J.K. Dobbins? That's the other thing that is the dynamic that has changed in here. And it, to me, it's not even so much about running back recruiting. It's that wide receiver recruiting has gone through the roof here. And that disparity in that in talent is doesn't make sense anymore. Maybe to feed one guy as opposed to spreading it around the offense. But also, I mean, their defense was awesome, and typically, awesome defense and awesome running back go together in football. And that also hasn't been the case. So there haven't been to the point of he was getting the ball a lot in blowouts. It was a lot of situations where it's like. <laughs> the defense just got off the field in 45 seconds. Let's go out there and waste some more time here, JK. Here's the ball. And then the last four games of the season, they gave him the ball 118 times. Like, if he de- hadn't gotten gimped up against Clemson, he'd have had four straight 30 carry games. I just don't know where the defense is right now. And just the there's not a gap the same way between RB1 and RB2, and then also what the running, the wide receiver room looks like at this point. 
I don't know if there's another situation where there is a running back that you have four straight games that here's the ball 30 times, go lead us to a win. Another thing that I don't know if, if Ryan Dave factors this in, maybe I'm off on a tangent here, but 2019, there was no backup quarterback. There was no playoff caliber backup quarterback on that roster. They lose Justin Fields. So I thought there was an even greater emphasis for want, needing to get him to the end of the season and maybe relying more on a, on the running back handoffs in 2019, especially when you had one that was so dynamic in, in J.K. Dobbins. All right, we'll end it there. We wanted to plant this seed for you guys to think about this, have the context of the run game. I do think in the end, 47% in 2019, it was 46% last year. Maybe even that's a little high, but like 43, 44, 45% of the offense this year. And then that 6.6 yards per carry, I think it, they've got to at least shoot for like 6.2, 6.3, but it's not going to be one guy. So I think there's stuff that we can take from the production in 2019, realizing it's not going to come by giving the ball 300 times to a single player, at least not in 2023, and maybe never again. Because we've talked a lot about the Georgia model, and we can't talk about the Georgia model. And they'd be like, hey, do you think they're going to have another Zeke guy? It's like, well, it's not the same thing. It's just not. Because even when Georgia had Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, who were both great, you know, they were picked in the 30s. They weren't Bijan Robinson because they sort of didn't have the chance to be. Doesn't mean Nick Chubb couldn't have been, but they did. They chose not to use him that way. So plant the seed. Keep this in mind. Talk about it with your friends. We'll get back to the run game later. But I thought the Texters asked some interesting questions, and you need the context of knowing they did run it a lot last year. They just didn't run it that well. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text at 614-350-3315. And we'll catch you on the next Buckeye Talk. We got one more before the draft. We'll figure something out. But for now, for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.